Hello and welcome to the Creating Chances podcast. Here at Creating Chances, we are a for-purpose social enterprise that aims to empower and create opportunities for young people through our evidence-based best practice programs. Through the transformational stories and lived experiences of educators, leaders, and professionals on this show, this podcast will inspire, advise, and empower those who are seeking to help create positive change within the young people of today. On today's episode, we have Paul connecting with Jenny Blow. Jenny is a two-time Paralympian who has represented Australia in the sport of goalball. The two discuss how Jenny had to learn to come to terms with her vision impairment, how Jenny discovered her passion for goalball, and how her experience as a Paralympian have instilled a sense of resilience and persistence that she never thought possible. Enjoy the episode. How are you today, Jenny? Hey, very well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes, it's a pleasure to have you on. Really excited to chat to you. Already had a chat beforehand and I was kind of getting ahead of myself. So we'll take it a bit slow and we'll, we'll get through quite a fair amount. So where are you speaking to us on this lovely morning? So I'm from sunny Melbourne, uh, <laughs> fresh, out, fresh out of lockdown 2.0. Yeah, yeah. So you're still um, surviving out there. You're all safe and healthy. All safe and healthy and we're opening up. Um, getting sick of wearing masks everywhere, but <laughs> I, th- I think the whole of Australia is in the world, so we'll get through it together, I guess. So, um, yeah. yeah, I guess did you grow up in Melbourne? Is that where you live? No, I'm born and bred um, Sydney, so I grew up on the northern beaches of Sydney, um, and I went to uh, school there and University of Sydney, and then I kind of moved to the inner west. I moved a bit around the inner west as I was going through uni, and uh, I was teaching in Sydney for five years. And then uh, me and my partner just thought, hey, why don't we just go to Melbourne and have an adventure? And so two years ago, we moved to Melbourne for no other reason but for fun. (laughs) (laughs) Why not? I guess you would have, I guess, achieved a lot of pretty cool experiences there, which we'll get into. I think um, you you mentioned that you studied at University of Sydney. What did you study? Yeah, so I did a um, combined degree, the Bachelor of Education and Bachelor of Arts. So, yeah, yeah, it was always my dream to be a teacher. I think yeah. from about the age of 16, 17, I was like, yeah, I think I want to be a teacher. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, did that for at the university of Sydney and uh, taught for five years in Sydney and then uh, nearly a year in Melbourne before I started my current job. Mm, what schools did you teach at? Uh, Ride secondary college. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then Dandenong, Dandenong high school. down here. Oh, there you go. All right. So you've been around. It's pretty good. Got a bit of experience there. So yeah, yeah definitely going to get into your journey as a Paralympian and goalball. But I wanted to touch first on your visual impairment. So I know it comes in a range of different levels. And I was hoping you could tell me about the nature and the type that you have and how it affects you day to day. Yeah. Okay. So we'll start with like, I guess, the medical definition. So what I have is called ocular cutaneous albinism. Mm-hmm. And basically, I guess... Um, people would have heard of, of, of someone being an albino is probably the more um, politically incorrect, let's say. Okay, way good of, to know. But, so for people, so I have very white hair, very white skin. Um, people might, so you, you might've seen people like that in the street or whatever, or people have seen animals that have albinism. Mm-hmm. Um, but people might not know that it actually comes with a vision impairment. So there's a part of your retina I think I'm not an ophthalmologist, but there's a part of your retina that is um, not fully developed because it doesn't have the same coloring and pigments as a normal eye. So that's kind of your medical, Mm. I guess, background. Um, Please don't ask me anymore because I don't (laughs) know much more about it. Um, So 
and again, a medical definition of what I can see, I'm classified legally blind, um, but I actually have a lot of functional vision. So I guess most people, when they hear the word blind, they're like, oh, right, she can see nothing. I actually can see quite a lot. And um, if you just saw me in the street, you probably might not know that I was vision impaired unless you just happen to see me looking close at something or <laughs> walking into something. But generally, I can kind of get away with people not knowing. Mm. Um, so the way they explain what we can see is I see 660. So if you're looking at um, a tree or a car or a person, whatever it is, and you are 60 meters away, obviously that's going to be less detail for you. So that amount of detail that you guys see at 60 meters, we see that same detail at six meters. Mm. So, um, so to break that down even further, so I've got, I can see all the colors, I've got full field. So I, I, you know, I've got peripheral vision, um, but I guess I just see things in a lot less detail uh, is the easiest way to explain it. So I just need to be really close to see, to read stuff or if something's further away, it's hard to see if the person's further away. I might, I might be able to say, oh, that's a person, mm. but I might not be able to say, is it a girl or a boy or old or young or whatever like that. Okay. So were you yeah. born with this um, impairment? Yeah, so it's genetic, okay. so it's recessive. So no one in my family has shown it, so they don't have it, but they all carry the gene. So it's just been in our family for nobody knows how long, and it's mm. just never shown itself. So, yeah, but now we know the family carries it. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you can be prepared for it, right? But yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess having to deal with these difficulties from a young age. Did you have a support system around you? What was it like? Yeah, I think um, I owe so much credit to my parents I think they just and, and you know I can't imagine what it's like for your to be a parent and um you know when you're your newborn baby because I was diagnosed at birth and you're told and some of the things they were told was just um she's going to be blind she's never going to be able to go to normal school she's yeah, and my parents loved camping they're like you're never going to go camping again she can't go camping she's not allowed in the sun like these were doctors who were just saying all these things that wouldn't happen. And I can't imagine my parents, you know, facing that and coming to terms with that. I mean, I don't remember that. So that's not <laughs> traumatizing for me. Um, but I think I, I, you've got to give it to my parents who ignored all that advice <laughs> mm. and just brought me up being a normal person. So I'm the youngest of three girls and maybe that helped being the youngest too. <laughs> they, they didn't have as, you know, I guess if you have three young children, the youngest isn't going to get as much attention. Um, and I think that's a good thing because I was just, yeah, just brought up, always told just do what the other sisters are doing. Um, and that was right through, you know, if they're playing, I just played with them. It was never like, oh, Jenny's doing anything different. And then that went right through, you know, they started playing netball. I started playing netball. I was useless because I can't see very well, but, you know, just went along and did. And I so I owe that to my parents of bringing me up that way. And I think that meant that I just kind of had that belief that I can just do whatever, you know, sometimes I'll have to do things a little differently, but generally mm. I can do whatever I want. Yeah. I guess that's treating you normally yeah. and just, you know, raising you up as then anyone else. I think that's, that's fair to say that would be the best way to do it, I think. And yeah. Yeah. Not a little coddling there. Did, did your sisters have it or it was just you? No, just me. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, they potentially could carry the gene and pass it on to yeah. their kids, but yeah. Okay. Um, we won't go down into a biology lesson. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I didn't go straight over my head because I didn't listen too much in biology. Now, I actually listened to the podcast with your teammate, uh, Mika Horsberg. Uh, she's a skipper of the Aussie Bells. I'm sure you're very familiar with her. Yeah. Um, and she touches on some pretty heavy stuff when it came to dealing with her visual impairment. 
and bullies. And I was wondering if you experienced anything similar to the situations and the people who were indifferent. Um, different, I guess different, different experience. Um, like I said, I'm the youngest of um, three girls and mm. I was very fortunate that my two sisters were incredibly popular. So the second <laughs> anybody just, you know, said anything or that any tiny little bit of teasing, those, my sisters would just shut it down and it would never happen again. So I think, I think it's very good to have very popular sisters. <laughs> um, so that was nice during high school. Yeah, but no, I, obviously I think, I think almost all of us can say we've faced some teasing. I, do, I wasn't bullied. You know, you mm-hmm. have the kid, you know, you're fat, you're white, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, obvi- I had a little bit of that, but it was not, yeah, not definitely not bullying. Um, and I think, um, I think f- growing up more, it was more, I had to just come to terms with my condition myself. I think every teenager has that period where they go from being, I guess, a carefree young child. And then you, you have that moment where you become a teenager and you start to have self doubt and, mm. um, you know, you're like, Oh, I don't look the same as them. And your self-esteem suffers a little bit. I think so everyone faces that, but I think having a disability, um, it's just that extra level because yes, you're having those same insecurities, but you're having those insecurities too because you have an official diagnosis. So it's not just, oh, she's got prettier clothes than me or she's got the latest phone or it's also, oh, but I also have this condition that I can't get rid of and that's part of me. And so I think for me, a lot of it was just coming to terms. Um, yeah, I think just accepting. And it's funny because you're born with it. So you, because you, but as a kid, you don't think about it. But I think as a teenager, you have to go through that process of just, accepting and and you do you have those questions you're like oh why me why did I have to have this why did I have to be the one to stand out but I think yeah I just had to had to come to accept that in myself um so it wasn't really other people I think just from just me coming to terms with having a disability and and that life is going to be different but there's also you know so many positives and and at the end of the day just accepting that this is who I am if other people have the problem with it well, that's their problem, not my mm. problem. Yeah, I like that attitude and mentality towards it. And I think it's really important. I think about uh, another conversation I had with Laura Sherry, and she's a Nepalo, and she always, I guess she gave the advice to said, you know, be your unique self. Mm. And I think when you can accept yourself that way, uh, I think that's a beautiful thing. And then you get along life just so much easier. And I guess a bit of a shout out to your sisters. What were their names? Uh, Bryony and Catherine. Bryony <laughs> and Catherine. So yeah, definitely. Yeah having that kind of sisterhood and also just even yeah. that, in a sense that to protect you and, you know, stand up for you. And I hope other people can do the same for those who may be struggling with a disability as well. Yeah. And I think it's important to, um, you need to work on that. Like, you know, that definitely, and even as an adult, you have your days where you're like, mm. Oh, things are just that little bit harder. I think, you know, and cause that advice is given to teenagers and people around the world, isn't it? Just be yourself, accept mm. who you are. Um, that doesn't come overnight and that, that's okay. And, and it doesn't always stay. Like, like I said, there will be days where that's much easier. And then there'll be days where like, Oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm not feeling very resilient today or I'm not, I don't have the greatest self-esteem today. And that's okay. Just remind yourself to keep working at it. Um, don't stay in that pit and just go, okay, well, mm. I need to work at accepting myself and, you know, building my self-esteem and my resilience. I think yeah. I, I come to think about your experience as a teacher. So you would have had a lot of, I guess, experiences with some, you know, teens that may have struggled as well. I was wondering, without getting into too much detail, did you ever have to maybe support or mentor someone in that way? 
Yeah, definitely. And I think that's one part I love about teaching because I, I also think when, you know, we're talking about support networks, I had some great teachers growing up too. Um, and just having those voices, all different voices, whether that's your sisters or your parents, but also teachers, um, just that extra voice saying you can do it. You are good. You are successful. You are worth, you know, um, you've got self-worth, things like that. So I think that's what drew me to teachers because um, drew me to teaching because I had teachers who who were there as mentors and support networks and yeah so I'd like to think that I can be that to students and I think I have been that to students and and that's nice and hopefully and I think also I, I um I don't always tell students straight out that I have a disability or vision impairment mm. but they generally pick up on it and I, I my policy I might not tell them all the details but I'll never lie is always my policy with students um and I like to think that you know, maybe not as 16-year-olds, they might not see this, but maybe when they're older, they're like, oh, hey, that teacher had a disability. And, and I hope that sticks with them, whether that teaches them, oh, wow, she must have been going through, you know, that must have been really challenging. And sees, uh, I don't know, <laughs> you hate to say this, but I don't know, hopefully I'm a role model of some sort. Um, or even just for them to go, oh, that teacher had a disability. That's pretty normal. Oh, well, you know, I'm now CEO of a corporation. I should employ someone with a disability. Mm. Um, those kind of, you know, it's not that direct teaching, but I hope they, it's that indirect, um, I don't know, indirect yeah. Um, yeah, beliefs and values that they pick up, mm. hopefully. I think it, yeah, as you mentioned, it does take time for certain kids to learn something. And, and I think it's so important that, you know, even teachers themselves, like they, they may not understand the impact that they have with the students from just from what they say and the role model. I guess, or, or the role model type uh, leadership that they show to these kids. So I think it's huge. And I was thinking, what would you say to those who may be struggling with a disability, whether it's at school or in sport or anywhere? Gosh, that's a hard. It's <laughs> Coming from your experience. Yeah, I think just, um, yeah, like I said, just keep working on believing in yourself and keep working on building your self-esteem and your resilience and accept that that's not going to happen overnight and that, and it's not, it's going to be an up and down, but just keep working on it and know that you are worthy and you can have good self-esteem and you can build resilience. It is something you can work on. That would be my first advice, but yeah, but be patient with it. Um, I think also just surround yourself with people who will also help you give yourself those messages. So when there's a day where your resilience is really low or your self-esteem is really low, make sure you've got enough people in your life that will help you give you those positive messages when you can't give them to yourself. So whether that's friends or family or teachers or whatever, make sure you surround your, yourself with those people and um, anybody else, they're not, don't, don't give them a second thought. <laughs> Definitely not worth your time. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Thinking about the other side of the spectrum there, what advice do you give to those who may not understand or are unsure of how to treat people with disabilities? Just treat them like an absolutely normal person. <laughs> Don't change anything. And I think, um, you know, it's funny. We talk about these words such as like tolerance and inclusion. Mm. Um, but if we, if, if we normalise disability, these words wouldn't exist. You can't include something if it's the same as something else. Does that make sense? Or you can't, or even tolerance or, you know, tolerating. It's such a, you, no, don't tolerate people with disability. Just 
just treat them like normal normal people well they are normal people you know exactly don't right. even question it and i think that in in saying that um it's okay to ask questions and it's okay to be curious and it's okay um and i think most people with a disability would rather you ask questions than be like mm, i don't oh they can't do that or make assumptions or or judge um but so it's okay to ask questions but also that person with a disability doesn't have to answer those questions too. It's very, you know, um, especially when you've just met them and the first question out of your mouth is something about their disability. Yeah. Get, to, get to know them. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'd be a bit more tactful and obviously treat them like a normal person. I've actually, yeah. I've actually never saw it from that perspective before. Hey, you, you mentioned tolerance and inclusion, whereas, you know, they, they wouldn't exist if you just treat them normally, right? Yeah, so that's yeah. definitely something I'm going to take on board as I move forward in I guess, <laughs> industry too. Now, I wanted to uh, move forward into goalball. Now, this is actually mm. a sport I've tried with my students and it does go quite well. It teaches them that <laughs> empathy and teamwork. It's an awesome sport. And I was hoping for our viewers, or, I mean, listeners today, can you describe what goalball is and how to play it? Because it's such a great yeah. game. Yeah, it's good fun. Best game. Um, <laughs> so it's played on a volleyball size court. So 18 metres, nine metres. On both of your nine metre baselines are goals. So imagine a giant soccer goal that runs nine metres. In front of each goal is the two teams. So you never have physical contact with the other team. You're on separate, kind of like dodgeball. Mm -hmm. Imagine dodgeball. However, everyone is blindfolded and the ball has a bell in it. So the object of the game is you, your team has the ball and you want to throw it at the opposition who are blindfolded. So it's good, good fun. Pegging <laughs> balls at blind people is always great. Um, they want to defend that nine metre goal. So there's three players and they want to defend that nine metre goal and stop the ball going in the goal. If it goes in a goal, that's a point. Um, once they defend it, they pick it, pick it up and throw it back. Mm -hmm. And you kind of just play kind of like dodgeball. You just kind of keep playing that back and forth kind of game, trying to score goals. Yes. So being part of that experience, did you have any like real highlights or for me, one of your, your, your favorite moments that you've experienced personally in, in that sport? Yeah, I think um, definitely competing at a Paralympic games, uh, yep. you know, that's, it's, it's funny. I, so I, like I said, I, I grew up playing just mainstream netball. I was always in the lowest grades because, you know, I couldn't see it very well. So I was never very good. Um, and if you asked, you know, 16 year old me, if, if, if you told me that I was going to go to a Paralympics, I would have laughed in your face. I would have been, that's, that's a joke. If, if you asked me if I was good at sport, I would have said I was atrocious at sport. I hated sport. Um, and it's funny because actually I hated being really bad at sport because I couldn't see and I was competing against people who could see. Well, it's not entirely fair. Mm. Once I found goalball, I think I just realised, actually, I'm, I am actually okay at sport. When you put me on an even playing field with other people who are vision impaired, um, I start to be okay at sports. So I think it's just that that's a highlight is being able to excel in something that you previously had just been like, no, nah, that's, I'm terrible at sport. Um, so I think, uh, yeah. And then to make it to a Paralympic games and that moment of walking out in an opening ceremony um, behind the Australian flag, like that's something you see on TV and you know, every four years and you're like, Oh yeah, that's fun to do it. It's like, this is crazy. <laughs> yeah. I watched in the 2000 when the Olympics were here and it's just, it just sends chills down your spine. It's mm. just such a momentous occasion. You can't imagine like sitting in front of the TV and you're, you're watching it like, could I be there? <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. You don't even think about it. <laughs> yeah. And you said you were but 16 yeah. at the time when, when you just like were thinking that you'd never do that. But then what, five years later or so was it? 
Yeah. Oh gosh. I, um, <laughs> 2012. Oh, a, bit, a bit more. <laughs> a bit more. So 2012 <laughs> in London and then 2016 in um, yeah. Rio. So yeah, how yeah. has being a Paralympian shaped you as a person now? I've never really thought about that actually. Um, I actually think it's, it's definitely, um, definitely improved like my mental toughness, you know, mm. when you're, um, and mental toughness and resilience, I think, because, you know, when you're training and it's hot or you're tired or your muscles are fatiguing, just that fight, finding ways to fight through, um, or, you know, and even when you go, sometimes you go through training blocks and you're just not improving or you're not getting a skill and it just goes weak and weak and weak and you're not getting something um, or even competitions. And I've had whole entire competitions where I've just played rubbish and just, it's just not clicking. So I think, and then, but then on the other hand, I've had, you know, the best tournaments of my life and, and really helped our team win or qualify or whatever, whatever we're trying to do. Um, so I think it's definitely made me a much more, yeah, mentally tough person. Um, and yeah, much more resilient because you do, you know, it, sport, you lose <laughs> a lot and that's yeah. okay. But you also win too, which is great. Yeah, I guess if you put in that effort and, you know, you stay resilient in those times, mm. it definitely makes you better as a person. You definitely learn from it, especially from the losses, right? Mm. Yeah, now, definitely. With the sport, what does a training session look like? That's what I'm, I'm a bit curious to know. Yeah, so we do. Um, I mean, it's been very different this year. Yeah, I can <laughs> um, imagine. But generally, like across the week, we'll do a couple of on-court sessions. Um, at the moment, um, because in Melbourne, we're not really allowed back at full training. It's just mm -hmm. been mostly skill. I'm the only Australian player down here. So it's been pretty much entirely just skills. Sometimes we'll try and do skills and then get some game scenarios um, but for me, it's just been lots and lots of skills this year because um, I don't have a team to play with. <laughs> um, otherwise, they, uh, and then there's a few weight sessions a week and then cardio sessions a week as well. Yes, just keep, keep me on top of it because I'm sure, I know it's postponed, the Olympic Games for this year, but I know it's coming in next year. So are, are, you, mm. are you ready for that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, much. Uh, it's been a roller coaster this year. I think when it was first postponed back in, when was it, March? Mm. I think I was a bit relieved because I was like, hey, there's no way I don't, I don't want it. I don't know if I want to travel during this. So I think I was relieved that it was, mm. and I was like, it's just not going to be the same. Um, so I was a bit relieved. And then I guess I kind of just went into a slump and I was just like, I, what do I like? I was just trying, I live in a tiny apartment in the city and, you know, gyms were closed. Um, I was doing my weight session with just, four kilo dumbbells which i quickly bought from rebel the day we went into lockdown <laughs> and that was all that was left because everyone else bought everything wow. um so i had nothing i was doing these you know pitiful weights workouts at home <laughs> and i was like this is so until and then i think i for me this year i, I then i changed my focus. i had to stop i actually had to really stop thinking about global and tokyo because at this point we weren't on court doing court training because the halls were closed and Tokyo was that far away and there was still that bit in our back of our minds going, is Tokyo actually going to go ahead? So for a good, good part of this year, I actually shut up. I was like, no, no thinking of goalball, no thinking of Tokyo. What's another goal, fitness goal I can do that will, will end up benefiting goalball and Tokyo, um, but without thinking of them. So I took up running like lots of people in COVID because that was the one thing that was allowed. Yeah. Um, and I said, and I'm, you know, I'm not really a runner. We do treadmills and intervals and stuff for goalball in terms of our cardio, but it's not sustained running. 
So I set myself a goal of running a half marathon was my, my little COVID goal. And I did that in October. So that was my, I just had to focus on something else other than goalball of Tokyo. So how now, how many cases? Oh, yes, uh, tw- 21.1. Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> so I know. Yeah. So it was good. It was just good to have a goal, but now uh, we're back on court. Um, not properly down here in Melbourne, but we are back on court anyway, training um, this weekend. Actually, we have a training camp with our national squad, which will be our first in I think I counted nine months. Wow. So, so I, really, yeah. I hope that goes well and I hope we can catch up over that too. So that's quite exciting mm. stuff. Yeah. So, speaking of your squad, um, I was wondering if you had any pre-game rituals before a game. Do you have any routines? Because, you know, as an athlete and as a person in sports, there's always some quirky things that some people do. So I'm curious to know what that could be for you at the goal ball. Yeah, we, we do some funny ones and we, I think we change. Um, <laughs> I'm a drama teacher, so I often run drama games with the with the girls. Um, mm-hmm. Little, especially, <laughs> it's very annoying with goalball. You you, ha- you have your warm up hall, and then you kind of go in a marshalling area before you march on court. And mm-hmm. so, and if the game before you is running late or something, sometimes you're stuck in that. Mar- this is after you've warmed up, so it's this you know ball of this pile of nerves and you're stuck in this little marshalling area. Sometimes you're there for 20 minutes or something. So we play drama games. Um, we all just try and make jokes or the alphabet game has been a one we've done where you, um, you pick a topic like animals and then you've yeah. got to try and say an animal with each letter. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just random oh, stuff just to try and take your mind off. Otherwise you just, you just build into a ball of nerves. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, nerves aren't great when you're in the sporting world. So to be able to control that and deal with that, it's definitely helpful. So I think you are very much an integral part of the team. <laughs> Just for the games that I bring you. <laughs> no, 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 definitely. I think it helps the whole team in that sense. So that performance and that, you know, contribution, I think definitely helps a lot. And you're a bit too humble about it, I think. So you've got to give yourself a bit more credit. So thinking about the future now, um, I know the Tokyo Olympics will be on next year. Um, uh, considering that, what else is, does the future hold for you in that sense? I don't know. <laughs> before, um, before, before now and then, you could say. Yeah, so, well, it's, it's all, um, so we're, we will be back training with the squad, which is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we're not sure whether we'll be able to compete internationally before Japan. Um, which is going to be very, I was thinking about this the other day, it's going to be very strange. So Japan, we will be our first international competition in over a year, the, the Tokyo Paralympic Games, because I'm not, I don't know if we'll be able to compete with all the border restrictions. Um, yeah, per, so that's, that's, I guess that's in terms of goalball. Personally, I'm working at Paralympics Australia as the education manager, so which has been great to be able to combine, I guess, my, my passion for goalball and para sports and, put it into a job um so we're actually running our education program leading up to the tokyo paralympic games too so i guess that's my personal life as well outside of goalball what does that education program look like yeah so what we're doing um i mean this year we were meant to do we what we're calling the be your greatest roadshow which sees us travel around schools around australia uh we'll visit with a paralympian uh in addition to myself <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and we'll also run a para sport demonstration for students. Um, so we're going to do that next year now because we had to postpone mm-hmm. it. Um, and there's also resources on the Paralympics Australia website for teachers if they wanted to teach about para sports or, or teach their students goalball. So. 
Yeah, I think raising that awareness and understanding of para sports is, is huge. And I think it'll definitely benefit the students in many ways. So I think that's how you create chances for others. <laughs> Bit of a pun yeah. on what we do as well. So that's really, <laughs> that's really awesome to hear. Is there, is there any other things maybe you'd like to plug or things that you'd like to share before we go? Final words of advice to, to the I whole world make out sure- there? Make sure you tune in on August 24th to the Paralympic Games. Definitely watch the Australian Paralympic team in Tokyo. Um, We may not have spectators, so please watch from home. Um, Head over to any of the social media and like the Aussie Bells, Facebook and Instagram. Mm -hmm. And um, teachers, head on to the Paralympics Australia website and check out our education program and send us an email if you'd like a Paralympian to come visit your school next year. That was a perfect plug and it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you, uh, Jenny. And thank you so much for your time and hopefully we'll catch up again soon. Wish you all the best in our Paralympic Games come next year and thank you so much again. Thank you. It was great fun. Awesome. See you next time. See ya. Hopefully you enjoyed today's episode and it has inspired you to keep creating chances. If you want to hear more amazing stories, head on over and subscribe to our podcast feed on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any other podcast provider. And if you want to hear more about the work that Creating Chances is doing, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you next time on the Creating Chances podcast.